Great. Okay. Good morning, Ian. Bright Hope. Great name, by the way, Bright Hope. Um, it's a bright morning right now. I'm feeling pretty hopeful. Um, we've had some technical issues, but we've finally managed to sort them out. And here you are. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from Australia. Um, it's early in the morning, so I still have my coffee. Um, thank you for joining me. Um, you've got a, a, a great history of, of medicine experience stretching back decades. And um, it's great to have you on your show. Do you want to just introduce me and to the audience who you are, your background? And yeah, thank you. Sure. Thank you for inviting me, Dr. Ahmed. I will call you uh, Ahmed if that's all right with you. Um, I, I'd like to drop the formalities when we're talking with one another and uh, and 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 speaking to a, an intelligent audience. Uh, it's great to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. And um, just a little bit about my background. I started uh, my career in agricultural science uh, and then in uh, nutrition of animals and research into uh, the productivity of uh, animals, including sheep, uh, pigs, uh, cattle, uh, and uh, and other uh, agricultural uh, produce. Uh, and then I got interested in medicine, uh, did medicine, finished medicine. Uh, halfway through my medical course, I um, discovered that I did not agree with what I was being taught, uh, especially when somebody is uh, uh, being given uh, ice cream and jelly uh, and intravenous sugar and salt and nothing else uh, when their nutritional status is terrible um, and uh, they're suffering from the, po the, the post-operative effects of, uh, of a cancer removal uh, and you uh, don't take any notice of your professors when you know a little bit more about the nutritional status of people and, uh, and also I decided then that I would be a different sort of doctor and uh, and do something uh, a little bit different, and that was back in the nineteen early nineteen seventies. So uh, it's been a a very interesting journey for me, um, having uh, an agricultural science background, knowing about trace elements, crops and pastures, animals, and uh, uh, and then um, uh, treating somebody in hospital as a cancer, or in the other bed an appendix or another bed, Hodgkin's disease, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, people were not being treated as human beings, but they were being treated basically as uh, as disease entities, and that's what the focus was when we were in hospital. Uh, and uh, a 70-year-old little old lady lying in bed uh, is not a productive animal. She's a human being, uh, and a productive animal would be treated far better than uh, – than some of these patients were. So that convinced me to uh, do something different, uh, Ahmed, and um, it's been my life ever since. Doing something different, you uh, attract wow. attention, of course, and, as you know uh, personally. Absolutely. Um, and uh, it, it, it's a tough gig to uh, – I think uh, somebody once said, um, mm -hmm. Sir Walter Scott, I think it was, um, uh, you've got to have the uh, the courage, uh, without courage, to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, without the truth, uh, there can be no other uh, attributes um, and virtues. And I think, you know, telling the truth in medicine uh, and healthcare uh, 
can be a, a career ending. Uh, and <clears throat> I think uh, my career was threatened many times by reporting to uh, the medical boards here. And in the long run, uh, I defeated the medical board in the Supreme Court uh, and they left me alone after that, and that was in the mid-1980s. So I was able to establish the College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine and grow that. It's still growing. It's still uh, we, it, we had a very good relationship with the British Society for Nutritional Medicine and, and Clinical Ecology at the time, and uh, I, I think there are still some organisations in uh, Great Britain where uh, doctors are practising integrative and complementary medicines, and um, I take my hat off to them because uh, it's been even more difficult over the last three and a half years since the advent of the HIV, not the HIV, since the advent of um, uh, COVID and um, the uh, serious problems that we've been seeing with long COVID and the vaccine reactions. Ian, um, what you've just told me, I'm, I'm just shocked because you were way ahead of your time. And what you're telling me, you realize as a medical school, I, I think that's incredible. 99.99% of people go for med school and don't, don't have the realization that you did. I mean, you're a rare gem. And I think maybe the fact that you did that agricultural de degree and looking into nutrition as well gave you that head start. It's really bizarre that I went through med school. I didn't have one lecture on nutrition, nothing. And food is medicine. We are fueled by it, but we are made by it and we are toxified by it. You know, it's so obvious that what we eat and what the food quality is like um, will influence our health, but we're not talked about it. And I think you showed incredible insight to look back. You said 1970s. That's incredible. And the, the funny thing is it's only in some areas becoming a bit of a vogue now. And people are realizing even now there'd be many, many people who would call you and I a quack for talking about this kind of stuff. But in the 1970s and 80s, oh, my God, I can't imagine how lonely a journey it must have been for you and how how you must have been attacked left, right and center because you are challenging you know, this whole modern medicine pathway that's been engineered to see people as basically money-making machines with just disease constructs. Um, so, yeah, I really take my hat off to you. I mean, you, you're, you're a trailblazer. Um, it's incredible. I mean, I've read that you're into integrative medicine. Can you... Explain, what's the difference between functional medicine and integrative medicine and allopathic medicine? Well, look, allopathic medicine is orthodox medicine. It's uh, toxic molecular medicine. It's the pharmaceutically based medicine that we're trained. Uh, we're trained to think and act in terms of disease and diagnosis uh, and do the right tests uh, and then prescribe a medicine for the patient. Uh, but we're not looking at the underlying reasons for people not being functional. So when we talk about functional medicine, we're, we're, we're talking about how the, the body functions and improving the function of it. Uh, and that can be through things like mind-body medicine, exercise, diet, the use of judicious use of supplementation. Um, and it, it used to be called alternative medicine. Now, we've dropped that uh, term. And then we coined, I think it was Prince Charles, or King Charles now, who coined the term uh, complementary medicine, and we adopted that here in our 
mainstream approach to regulating uh, medicines. So complementary medicines are regulated like drugs here or, or, um, uh, or the ortho, orthodox medicines. Uh, however, I, I feel complementary is placing what we're doing uh, secondarily. And when we talk about functional medicine, uh, every medicine is functional if you look at it. It doesn't really clearly describe what it is. And neither does the term integrative, but integrative is, is a, a very important medico-political term because then with integrative medicine, we can integrate the best of all medicines, um, whether they be nutritional medicine, mm. environmental medicine, herbal medicine, homeopathic medicine, uh, 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 vitamins, minerals, uh, etc., and also, uh, of course, the judicious use of uh, orthodox drugs. So, uh, and integrating now, we're integrating things like uh, the the, um, the magic mushrooms, the uh, psilocybins, the psychedelic uh, medicines, very carefully into uh, into Australian uh, healthcare. Uh, but we, about five or six years ago, legalized the use of medicinal cannabis, and that's proved to be very, very useful. Uh, so in the integration of the ethical, uh, safest, uh, and uh, most effective and economically effective uh, and available medicines at the time uh, and suiting the patient's background, culture, uh, and uh, and the diversity of our culture because you know, many people in Australia and in, in Great Britain, for example, come from different cultures and they appreciate uh, the uh, traditional medicines to a large extent. Um, so uh, we, we have to respect that. And um, there are many ways of, of helping people get healthy again. Um, sure, if somebody's got an appendix, a bad appendix, you chop it out. Or if somebody's got gangrene, you amputate a toe or a foot or whatever, but um, you try to prevent these things happening in the first place. So I, I like to I like to be specific about what we're doing, Ahmed, uh, and that is nutritional medicine is the prescribing of uh, the right sort of diet for the individual. Individuality is a crucial factor in uh, in nutrition, and um, what is one person's meat is another person's poison. That comes back to sensitivities and food allergies and that sort of thing. Um, uh, environmental medicine, uh, ridding the, the environment of toxins and, uh, and uh, fungi and spores and uh, detoxifying patients from uh, an overburden of lead and mercury and arsenic and cadmium and aluminium, all of these heavy metals are, are present in our environment. We tend to take them up and uh, they do have an adverse effect on our functionality or on our biochemistry. Uh, and epigenetic effects. So, uh, and herbal medicines, of course, are if, in, if they're good quality and well made, uh, herbal medicines can be extremely effective. And um, uh, I found uh, cannabis to be absolutely critical, uh, especially lately for patients with chronic and severe pain, anxiety, post traumatic stress disorders, uh, some forms of epilepsy, uh, intractable epilepsy. The, the medicinal cannabis is proving itself to be superior to a lot of the drugs that we've traditionally had. So if that explains explains it, I think um, I like to describe exactly what the person what the person's getting in terms of the medicine. Here is a herbal medicine. Uh, I don't say here is a um, here is a here, here is a, a, a drug medicine, or but if it is a 
pharmaceutical medicine. I said, I'll tell them this is a pharmaceutical medicine I've got to give to you and it will have side effects and we'll try to mitigate those side effects with your diet or you know, antibiotics and probiotics and diuretics and, uh, and replacing the body's uh, minerals and trace elements in somebody who's been given diuretics. And, um, so there's, 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 there's that, the integration of, of the best. Uh, so if we do something that's got a risk attached to it, uh, we mitigate that risk by giving the patient something else. And um, it, it's a very, very challenging area of healthcare, but it, it's individualized, it's personalized, it's preventative, it's predictive. Uh, and uh, the other P is it's not profitable. So therein lies the problem. When a medicine is not profitable, uh, then yeah. the industry is not interested in supporting us. Yeah, I, I would say customer healed and treated is a customer patient. Patient treated and healed is a customer lost. So <laughs> that's the problem. They want they want a patient for life. So a customer for life. I mean, what you've just described was brilliant, and it's crystal clear now what what integrative medicine, what what environmental medicine is, and to be honest, it sounds like bloody common sense. Um, it doesn't sound quackery. Doesn't sound weird. Um, and then the question is, you know, why? Why is this so, you know, controversial? Why is this not adopted by all medical schools? And the simple part of their training as doctors to look at everything, you know, and I, I like the fact that we take the best of everything. You know, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I use plates and screws to fix broken bits of bone because sometimes that's really useful i try and treat things non-optively and a lot of the time you can treat fractures and a boot and a cast and non-weight bearing but some of these fractures are very unstable and if you don't fix them you'll have deformity and arthritis so there's been gains made for sure in allopathic traditional medicine but um for all the gains that we've got for every one gain i think we've got 10 steps backward and i think it's because we've lost um, our evolutionary history and we've thrown out the traditional medicines and the and we've adopted unhealthy diets and lifestyles and we were exposed to thousands of toxins that we shouldn't be so i think you're right we need an, a, an integrative approach now it was interesting off air just before we went live you mentioned something about an orthopedic surgeon you said oh there's an orthopedic surgeon like you in tasmania because i was telling you how i'm very holistic and i you know i only operate on five percent of my patients most of it I deal everything. I deal with their stress, their sleep, their exercise, their diet, their nutrition. And because I think, you know, I have to treat the whole patient, not just their Achilles tendon or whatever it might be. What happened to that orthopedic surgeon? Can you tell me? Well, he, he, uh, he got into a lot of trouble because he was, uh, um, I, I said he was getting sick of, uh, actually, amputating limbs in patients with uncontrolled, unstable diabetes. And the unstable diabetes uh, and the excessive use mm. of insulin produces uh, atheroma and uh, vascular disease and the blood vessels clog up and yet the patients end up with, uh, with uh, gangrene. Uh, and so, therefore, there's a, a loss of a toe or a loss of a foot or a loss of a lower leg. Uh, and uh, that's very, very expensive. It's 250000 Australian dollars. That's what it costs the government here for a single amputation. Um, wow. So, and it also costs a lot yeah. of pain to the, not only the patient but to the family as well and, and the carers. So he uh, decided to mm. get people to lose their weight, lose weight uh, and uh, take uh, a different diet, uh, 
but I think uh, some supplements and better control of the patient's diabetes. Um, and he got reported to the medical board by the Nutritionists Association here who got jealous of what he was doing or saying he shouldn't be interfering with what they were doing. It's like a union almost. You know, if you're a painter, don't pick up a hammer. <laughs> this, at, um, uh, so he got into trouble. He's, he's out of trouble now, but what I would have uh, preferred him to do would be to join the College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, which is a group of uh, and growing group of doctors here who've been training in nutritional and environmental medicine since uh, 1982. So it's over 40 years old now, the college, uh, and we train them to fellowship standards. So you're a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons. Um, you're a fellow of the Australian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medi Medicine, similar similar sort of thing, and we don't have the royal in front of our name. We probably should be, put an R there. Could may stand for royal or republic, depending <laughs> on which way you look at it, but... Um, it's, it's a college of training, postgraduate training and serious training in nutritional and environmental medicine. So, um, look, this is only one example of the, uh, the way that boards here treat doctors who stand out and do something a little bit different. Um, and, you know, for a long time, I mean, uh, with the advent of the HIV AIDS virus, I was giving patients who were suffering from respiratory infections before uh, the AIDS virus hit us here in Australia uh, and treating their infections with high doses of intravenous vitamin C. So critically ill patients, seriously ill patients requiring hospitalisation, they would get some intravenous vitamin C. And quite often a, a, a severe uh, acute respiratory virus or an influenza patient would uh, respond very quickly within a couple of hours to a nice big dose of vitamin C because basically the vitamin C destroys the viruses, it stimulates the killer cells, the helper cells, uh, and improves interferon production and, and, and reduces, it actually reduces uh, sepsis in seriously ill patients. And um, I was giving it to uh, uh, HIV AIDS patients as well as cancer patients who were getting infections. Uh, and um, uh, I was asked to write a, a chapter on it for a book. Well, I wrote a chapter, it became a book uh, called The AIDS Fighters. Uh, and I, I was reported to the medical board for doing this uh, and they tried to strike me off under section 17 they called it wasn't just professional misconduct but infamous conduct in a professional respect which is the most wicked thing a doctor can do and i hadn't done anything apart from mm. um, publish a book um, and talk about it on on uh, television uh, and i've still got the television clips to prove that my patients were doing very well where all the other patients on azt were uh, were dying uh, and it goes back to the, it, it remind, the, the current epidemic with, with the way Dr. Fauci has been behaving or was behaving uh, is exactly the same as it was back in the 1980s when he was pushing AZT into patients. Patients were dying from it uh, and taking patients off the mm. AZT, nourishing them and giving them you know, the right doses of nutrients. We were, we were treating their pneumonias and their Kaposi sarcomas and, and a whole range of other opportunistic infections that they were getting, and they were getting, we were getting very good results, you know, with a short term prognosis of a few months, extending a patient's lifespan by a num quite a number of years. Um, I got nothing in terms of assistance from the government, in terms of research dollars or help with any research. Um, they just wanted to finish me off. 
that is basically, um, if I'd been found guilty of any one of the charges, I would have been struck off. Uh, I appealed to the Supreme Court, of course, and um, I had a, a judge in the Supreme Court who was not a part of the so-called establishment. Uh, he was an immigrant and he thought differently. So I, I was very lucky. Uh, I, uh, my name was cleared. I was able then to continue uh, practicing. Uh, my practice has got uh, very successful and, um, uh, and training other doctors and uh, other healthcare professionals in nutritional medicine for the next 30 years, which was yeah, fun time. And, and now after retirement, I'm, wow. I'm out wow. teaching again. <laughs> oh, we, we can't have you retiring, Ian. Oh, wow. It's so, it's so interesting to hear what you've just said because in today's climate where censorship is rampant, doctors are being referred to regulatory bodies in America to the licensing boards. People like Scott Jensen, he's a doctor who lost, I think, his license and is fighting the board there. And doctors here in the UK getting reported to the GMC left, right, and centre. Andrew Wakefield, he was he he had his um he was pulled up and had to fight in court, and he was you know made an example of simply for asking questions, and he didn't do anything, but he was made into this bogeyman, a villain. Um. Over here, you know, if you talked about COVID, you got you got investigated, you got suspended. Um, I got pulled up just talking about the the harms that I was seeing. I was pulled up by my medical director. Stop, stop tweeting. What are you doing? Don't do this. You're breaching our social media guidelines. Recently, I just posted a question. You know, is Dylan Mulvaney a woman? You know, about the whole transphobic crisis. Uh, so trans trans agenda and this um, crisis that we're seeing of gender identity. And I was accused of being transphobic. And I was like, well, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I don't fear trans people. I feel sorry for them. I, I feel that there's, there's a crisis with these young kids. We need to help them. There's a medical scandal going on. Um, and, you know, and these regulatory bodies and licensing and investigations, they're, they're used as weapons essentially to silence us. But from what you're telling me, this isn't new. This has been going on for decades, it, and it's it's basically bloody bullying, isn't it? it? It's bullying, and it's also taking away our professionalism. I mean, we we uh, we spend twelve years in in school and go to university for another six years, and then another five, four or five years specialising, and and then we're just starting to really learn about about how to really look after people and we've, we've invested all of that time. It's a massive asset that we've got as doctors. When it comes to acute interventive medicine, we shine in Britain, in Australia, in most of the US, Canada, uh, the Western world and, and also uh, other parts of the world as well. Um, we, we deliver the best uh, of what's available in the technology. However, when it comes to uh, chronic disease, uh, we are the... Uh, handmaidens of the drug companies we are the we are the salesmen the, the professors of medicine are the super salesmen uh, and marketers for the drug companies and the, the the pharmaceutical industry got in my way back in the 1980s uh, and that they, they were the ones who objected to what i was doing and that they were behind the reporting of me to the medical board and i've seen it ever since i mean it's 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 no different. In fact, it's got so much worse, especially since 1986 when the US government uh, gave uh, 
have been slathered to the drug companies to make vaccines that didn't have to necessarily be proven to be safe and effective. Uh, and uh, therein lies a, a major pandemic um, of uh, childhood illnesses uh, from the excessive use of um, substances called vaccines, uh, which um, uh, in many cases are, are not needed. Uh, and if we had a, a proper health system, uh, children would be looked after with the right nutraceuticals mm. and the right diet so that they, they would not suffer from any of these childhood illnesses apart from a minor rash or a minor sore throat or a headache. Um, and uh, it, they've basically thrown away all of the, uh, the, the evidence, they've suppressed the evidence that, uh, that you can use nutraceuticals. Even to, back in the 1940s and 50s, uh, Frederick Klenner in the US was treating early polio with vitamin C and clearing it up very quickly. I mean, uh, one big dose of vitamin A during a measles epidemic in Indonesia, studies mm-hmm. have proven to be very effective. Nobody suffers from the complications of measles. Um, vitamin D, uh, we knew we knew about vitamin D uh, and its powerful effect in preventing acute respiratory viral infections, including coronaviruses, coronaviruses, and influenza. And in fact, vitamin D uh, at the right level in your system can actually prevent you from suffering from severe influenza, where the uh, vaccines don't work. Um, I mean, the number needed to treat. Uh, with vaccines to prevent one case of influenza, something like 35 to 37. The number needed to treat with a low dose of vitamin D is in the low 20s. Mm. So it just proves vitamin D is far more effective than uh, wow. than um, the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, and we understand how it works. It, it stimulates the uh, mucosal immunity. It stimulates all aspects of immunity because it works as a an epigenetic agent on our genes and it instructs our genes to produce the right cells and the right antibodies to to attack the the um, the invading virus or bacteria. And so um, I've gone off track again, I think. Uh, um, but what I, what I was it's all right. Getting it's at okay. Is that, yeah, I was getting at what we were saying about our freedom as a profession. Uh, we were we were shut up. We, we were lo- we were locked up as individuals in Australia. Melbourne was the most locked down city in the world, uh, and we had a draconian um, premier here uh, who used to announce the lockdowns with a grin on his face. Uh, he knew as a um, politician that he was wrecking a lot of people's lives, especially small business, uh, and certainly to some extent the economy, but not realising the, the damage that he was doing psychiatrically and psychologically to not only the, the, uh, the general population but in particular to children um, who uh, I don't think they're going to recover uh, their, um, their full potential because of the uh, psychological damage that's been done. And we as doctors um, could not talk about it. We could not give informed consent. We could not say to patients, you know, this, this vaccine's got serious adverse side effects and it can cause you know, paralysis and, and um, respiratory problems and, and even death. And, uh, and they continue to jab, jab, jab here uh, in Australia against the advice um, from the beginning of our pandemic. Um, we lost our freedoms. Uh, from the beginning of the pandemic, I wrote to our Prime Minister 
I wrote to the health minister, the chief medical officer, the AMA, the Australian Medical Association, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, the unions, business leaders, many emails uh, to the point where after a number of emails and letters were sent out, I used the words, I plead with you, I beg you to introduce a vitamin D program, one test, one, one treatment, uh, and that's vitamin D. You, we don't need these lines of people <clears throat> who look like sheep lining up slaughtered. Um, mm. it's, it's completely unnecessary. We were, not, we were not listened to. In fact, my last letter went to the Prime Minister a few weeks ago, uh, pleading with him to stop the vaccines stop the mandates and, uh, and provide uh, the funding to treat the uh, seriously ill and those who've got serious adverse side effects from the vaccine. But uh, still, no, uh, still no response from our so-called leaders who always um, – uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They always emphasise how – in a democracy, mm. we're transparent, we're open, and we're inclusive. None of that occurred. Uh, mm. I mean, none of that has occurred. The most powerful medicine you've got uh, in terms of prevention of these is the use of your diet and the judicious use of vitamin C, D, and zinc. Um, and early treatment with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, well, a billionaire imported millions of doses of hydroxychloroquine. It was impounded and destroyed. And, of course, if you prescribed ivermectin in one state in Australia, you could end up in jail for six weeks, six months. So no, no early treatment, no prevention, wow. just lockdowns, uh, masks and social distancing. Uh, it, was, it was to the point where... You were meant to stay at home, but the only reason to go out would be to get some food from the supermarket or go to the beer and wine shop and buy some alcohol. And the brothels were also open. It, 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 was, it, it was just a period of insanity. Um, you know, the, the, the Premier came out and said, you can go to Dan Murphy's and get your alcohol, uh, and the, the brothels are open, but make sure you maintain social distancing. I mean, it became an absolute joke. Um, and, you know, to me, there's a handful of politicians, like there's a handful of doctors. There is a percentage of people who are awake uh, right from the start. Um, and I think that percentage is, is growing. More and more people, especially those who uh, have an ability to see common sense before they, they uh, need to delve into uh, the academia of what we're discussing, uh, they see the common sense that, you know, well, if this is a real vaccine that's going to work, why uh, do we have to have more than one or two jabs? Uh, why are they still pushing a fifth and sixth mm -hmm. uh, jab? This is a real vaccine and it's working. And why are so many people getting sick? And why uh, do we see up to 18% excessive deaths over and above those that are of the average? 
uh, and it's happening in in your country. Mm. It's happening in Australia. The excessive deaths in Germany uh, are enormous, um, and the vaccine induced uh, illnesses and sickness, especially if you catch coronavirus after you've been vaccinated. Uh, that for many people with a couple of comorbidities can be a death sentence. So it it um, uh, I mean people have. Said this is a deliberate genocide. I tend to believe that there is a deliberate attempt to reduce the world's population, and certain people have actually indicated that. If that's the case, it's not genocide. Uh, genocide is the actual um, killing of a particular race or a particular group of people. Um, you know, the, the handicapped and the, the um, and basically looked at the, the Jewish people during the Second World War and the Holocaust and the gypsies, um, that's genocide. When it's democide, it basically is right across the board um, the reduction of the human population. Uh, and we know that mm. there have been discussions mm. around this, discussions around the use of vaccination mm. to reduce the world's population. Um, this is uh, a pathology that uh, is uh, – I could not believe uh, anybody could think like this, but we do have people uh, in certain organisations and institutions. Um, if you want to mention them, you, I'm, I'm happy to mention them. But I, I'm definitely, I'm certain, ninety nine point nine nine percent certain that there are, there is an attempt um, to damage uh, the human uh, culture, the human population, uh, the human uh, genome. Uh, we can't we can't say for sure exactly whether there is a uh, re reverse transcriptase approach to uh, the messenger RNA that's going into our system and that becomes DNA and inserts itself into our own DNA. But we certainly know that the HIV AIDS virus, which was a retrovirus, uh, converts it and converts and, and actually inserts its DNA into our DNA. And there are parts of the messenger RNA that have been derived from the AIDS virus uh, and from prions. Um, so it, it is a very, very dangerous substance to be injecting into anybody. You're talking about Australia and the lockdowns and how they were terrible. It's really funny. I mean, Australia's got a funny history. It was a penal colony, you know, hundreds of years ago. And it, and it became a penal colony again. And I was shocked. You know, I was out in Australia in Sydney in 2010 for six months doing a fellowship in orthopedics. And it was fantastic. I love the country. I love the people. And, you know, the, the image when you're growing up here in the UK, watching neighbors and, and stuff like that is, you know, Aussies are chilled out, laid back, freedom loving people, work hard, then go to the beach. Um, and then when lockdowns happened, you guys were the most militant, authoritarian, totalitarian, crazy, insane measures were taken. I, I just couldn't understand. You know, when I was out in, China, um, in, in Australia in 2010, I remember everybody going on about how China wants to invade us and they want to take over these communists. And now I'm thinking you've, you've become China and more with all these measures. What the hell happened? Well, um, it, let me put it this way. We believe that there, there has been uh, 
a significant infiltration of uh, the Chinese Communist Party interests uh, in the government here in Victoria. And I, I don't say that lightheartedly and with, uh, with a lack of evidence. Um, when I was in China, uh, I used to see in the uh, English-speaking newspapers the One Belt, One Road system a long time before it ever came out uh, in the Western media. Um, the One Belt, One Road system is a system whereby uh, the, the Chinese are spreading their influence all around the world. Uh, and it's, a, it's a meant to be and appear to be a commercial appearance, commercial interests. Well, one of the, uh, the roads, if you like, um, coming from Kunming in southern China, extended all the way through uh, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, across the, the, the sea to Australia. Uh, and, of course, Melbourne was a focal point for the One Belt Road, One Road system. And our, China, our premier here, a fellow by the name of Daniel Andrews, who is still premier, uh, has a very close relationship with the Chinese. We have a lot of Chinese here in, uh, in Australia, in particular in Melbourne. And the, uh, the One Belt, One Road system was going to be extended all the way through to Melbourne. Well, our prime minister of the time, another, another person who's not uh, prime minister anymore, uh, actually blocked that and stopped it. However, Andrews, our premier, still uh, is uh, a, a working with the Chinese. We don't know exactly how and what he's doing because he will go from Melbourne to China uh, and have uh, a number of days, in fact, or, or a week or more, in China without any journalists whatsoever. And we don't know what he's doing over there. So we're very – I'm – and my, my friends and colleagues in my – uh, in my groups, uh, always concerned about what uh, he is doing and what he's up to and what his plans are because we just don't trust him. He was the one that locked us down. He was the one who said, you won't work if you're not vaccinated. You won't eat if you're not vaccinated. You won't leave your homes. You won't be able to go out and enjoy yourselves if you're not vaccinated. And he had a uh, chief health officer by the name of Brett Sutton who was nodding all the while with a uh, – with a uh, a, a supercilious grin on his face, uh, who supported all of this with the with the, the science of epidemiology, which is as flaky as it possibly can be, doing tracking and tracing and, and looking at flattening the curve and all of this BS that was going on and uh, and sucking people in uh, to the point where it became a, a quasi pseudo uh, Stockholm syndrome, where the public fell in love with these bastards. Um, they they fell in love with them because they believed that they were saving their lives. And in the meantime, in the aged care centres facilities, uh, people were dying um, and uh, people who were in quarantine were also dying because of their, um, their mismanagement of the entire pandemic. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, um, Amma, the and your listeners will be very interested in this, we as a research group, tried to get into some of the aged care facilities and measure the aged care people's blood levels of vitamin D, knowing very well that if their mm -hmm. vitamin D levels were high enough, yeah. they would get a cold or a flu-like illness, but they wouldn't die. You know, the medical people in charge said, no, mm -hmm. we're not going to let you do this research. Now, um, the organisation that I'm 
director of uh, is called the National Institute of Integrative Medicine. And um, in the early days of the pandemic, I sent out a lot of information and pamphlets and brochures, and they ended up on doctors' desks. And one of our doctors uh, had some of these brochures on the desk, and he was treating one of Australia's wealthiest patients. The patient saw it uh, and uh, published it on the company's website uh, and got a lot of um, mm-hmm. pushback from the medical profession. Uh, so as a consequence of that, this particular individual decided to provide some research funds for us to do a COVID study. And we couldn't do the COVID study in Australia, of course, but we registered an Australian study and uh, we did it in six or seven um, highly regarded centres in Turkey, university-based hospitals, uh, proper study um, on uh, re- preventing the progression of COVID in hospitalised patients. And uh, it was, it's been published, uh, but do you think the Australian government has taken any notice of it? They keep on saying, well, why don't you do some studies? Why don't you do some studies? Well, we did a study and we showed quite clearly if your vitamin D levels were high enough, you didn't get sick enough to go to hospital. And if you were given vitamin D, azithromycin and hydroxychloroquine in hospital, you didn't progress and get seriously ill. And if you were in intensive care and you got high doses of intravenous vitamin C, you were out of intensive care very quickly. You don't end up getting sepsis. You don't end up on a ventilator and dying with you lying on your belly with a tube down your throat. I mean, <clears throat> the the uh, I call them bastards. They won't listen to us. Um, uh, and it's that's why I think it's democide, uh, and it's hit our profession. We have robots in our profession. We have cowards in our profession. We have people who just want to keep their jobs. I don't care if they've got a mortgage or what. If you're going to do something that's going to harm people, you don't deserve the term physician. You don't deserve the term doctor. Um, You're neither. In fact, you're subhuman. Um, But moving forward, what are we going to do with these people? Or what can they do to themselves? Because I hope that there's going to be the highest level inquiry worldwide into the behaviour of the WEF, the WHO, Mr. William Gates, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and many, many others, and all of the others who have taken it on board themselves to follow the leader when they know very well that they're not doing people any good and they know very well that they're harming people. I would like to see the, the big companies, the Pfizer, the Moderna's of this, of this world, wound up, not sued by the government for the wrong thing, but sued by the individuals and class actions. Um, and, and people put legally, I would like to see as many people as possible put in a legally designed invoice and charge these companies with them, their damages and, uh, and appeal to have them wound up on the basis that they can't pay those debts. And whether that's uh, wishful thinking, pie in the sky stuff or not, I don't know, but anything and everything has to be possible uh, for retribution. Uh, and um, I'm a forgiving person, but I will never forgive any of these people. They are beyond uh, beyond the pale as far as humanity is concerned. I'm with you, Ian. I'm, 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 honestly, I share all those sentiments. Um, starting off with, I think these people knew exactly what they were doing. The reason why they had a smirk and a smile on their face, the reason why Bojo and Hancock were having parties 
cheese and wine for me and lockdown for thee, they knew perfectly well there was no pandemic. There's nothing scary going on. There's no life ending, killing virus out there. I mean, yeah, it was just, it was a bad flu season, frankly. I'm not saying that there was no virus. I'm not saying there was no SARS-CoV-2. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the lethality of this is very clear. It wasn't anything novel. It was, it was a bad flu season mortality. And actually the measures that the governments around the world took, preventing early treatment, locking down, actually exacerbated and caused more deaths, didn't help. And like you said, doing simple things like vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc, cheap, easy, could have done more than enough to, to help prevent a lot of the deaths and infections. So the reason why your premiers were smiling and smirking was because they knew it was all pantomime. The whole thing has just been one big pantomime show. It's a joke. And it's funny, you also said Stockholm Syndrome. I think that's what really upsets me that so many of the public have just been abused so badly. They now are in love with their abusers. And you use the word bastards. <laughs> ah, you're right. They're bastards because these people who proclaim to love people and, and, and are helping and are doing things right and following the science and it's all Orwellian upside down world. They're lying through their back teeth. It's everything they say is the opposite. They don't give a damn about you and me. They don't give a damn about our health. It was never about health. And it's all about our misery. And they, they did say, you know, they did leak it out and, and, and make it clear if you, if you read it. Like you said, you know, you won't be able to work. You won't be able to travel. You won't, they will make life difficult for us. These, these people are not patriots. They don't love their country. They don't love their fellow man and woman. And they are a joke. And I want punishment. I want punishment. I, I'm a forgiving person, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to forget and I'm not going to forgive. There's a reason why I'm doing this podcast at much ex expense, expense physically. It's cost a lot of money to set up a lot of expense in my time, time away from my family, time away from work Um, expense to my reputation because, you know, it's adding to, you know, the allegations that I'm a quack. Look at the people that I'm getting on my show. Um, but it's because I don't want people to forget. And even if one person listens and thinks, oh shit, maybe this guy's got a point. Maybe the speaker's got a point. I didn't think of it like this before. One person who's woken up, they'll never go back to sleep. You know, the gate is only one way. Once you wake up to what's happening, you start seeing all the lies. And, you know, you, you've talked about your history and your past. These lies have been going on since the 70s and 80s. But if anything, it's just accelerated. I think the, the, the people behind this have made that one mistake. They've, became, they've made it so obvious and blatant that now a significant number of the population are really waking up to the bullshit. And I want punishment. I want a Nuremberg type too. I don't want to forgive or forget. And I am upset with my colleagues. Spineless. You know, I'm putting my reputation, my career on the line. My, I've still got a mortgage, but what are we meant to do? I mean, I've got kids and I want to protect them. I want to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be the guard, the train, you know, the guy who puts the Jews on the train. 
I want to be the person fighting. And if it means I go down fighting, I'll go down fighting. I don't want to be the guy who puts the Jews on the carts and the trains heading off to Auschwitz. That's not me. And unfortunately, we need, there's not enough, I think, people in our profession who are doing that right now. I want them to speak up. If you're listening, stop quietly agreeing with us and start being vocal and make noise. Because if there's enough of us making a noise, it'll change. We can change. They can't ignore us. They can't investigate and lock us all up and suspend us all. You know, the system only works because we were in the system and complying. You need to stop complying with this nonsense. Um, so that's why I would say to my colleagues, and I'm sure you would agree with me. Oh, so listen, we're very much on the same page, Ian, and I feel your passion and I know yeah. why you're upset because I'm like that too. Now, what else, what else can we do? What, I mean, and also I'd really like you to talk about your integrative medicine as well at some point, you know, like I'd always like to have something where my listeners can take something away and they can do something to improve their health, fight back against the system. Um, so what would your advice and recommendations be? Well, um, I mean, there's, uh, there's a couple of things that I'd just like to mention that we've been made poorer. We are basically slaves to a system that's sucking our money and our well, well-being out of us. Uh, and when we look at people who boast that they've made a 20 to 1 investment in vaccines, put $10, million, $10 billion into a vaccine industry and taken $200 billion out of it, that has come from us, our taxes. And people in Australia, young people, cannot afford to buy homes anymore. This damage that's been done to the economies worldwide has been inflationary. We are going to see shortages of food. We're going to see more and more people on the streets because the billionaires, the elites of the world that we need to get rid of, have taken it from us. Not just the wealthy people. I'm talking about the elites, those who've made billions and hundreds of millions out of this, this charade, which really is a dress rehearsal as far as Mr. Gates is concerned and many others are concerned because the next one's going to be even bigger still. So we need to be awake and educate the people. So that brings me to what do we do? And I'm glad you mentioned that, Armin, because mm. in August last year, I got so peed off with, with what was going on uh, and the, the poor patients and the people who knew what was going on, people losing their businesses, having breakdowns, marriage breakdowns, nervous breakdowns, uh, I said, we've got to do something. So we start, started an organisation and I didn't put the word health or medicine into it purposely, basically started an, an organisation for wellbeing and it's called the World of Wellness. <clears throat> We're registered as an international group, not-for-profit here in Australia. Uh, it's still small but growing very, very quickly uh, and we're looking for uh, people to support us with information, uh, clinicians who are prepared to use um, natural uh, protocols to help long COVID and patients with vaccine industry, uh, injuries. Uh, and look after families who've lost loved ones. We're educating. Uh, we've got quite a lot of educational material on the website. 
Uh, we're involved in research. We're continuing with our long COVID research at the National Institute of Integrative Medicine here, um, and also uh, clinical advice and support. So um, uh, if people uh, in the uh, UK uh, wish to join, they're more than welcome to join. If, if you guys over there want to set up a, a, a similar group to, to liaise with us, we're happy to do that. We're aligned with a number of other groups and uh, and countries uh, setting up in India and South Africa, Zimbabwe. So um, it's it's a it's a flat organisation basically, um, and uh, we welcome people who are awake to what's going on and those who are wanting to become awake and learn more. So um, that's what I'm doing, uh, and uh, welcome uh, practitioners, doctors. Lawyers, uh, mothers, fathers, grandmothers, children, uh, whoever want to join and contribute or want to join and just learn from what we're doing because uh, it will come to a, a point where <clears throat> we need to say no to the uh, digital currencies. We'll need to say no to further uh, vaccine uh, mandates. We'll need to say no and we won't comply with lockdowns, which have proven to be so harmful. Uh, and if we have 3.5% of the population, according to studies, we will be able to swing the majority around to our way of thinking, um, whether it be in elections or whether it be in other ways. But um, the uh, the freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of association uh, and uh, the, the rights to, um, to work and to earn a living need to be protected. We didn't go to war if that's what the wars are about. Uh, to uh, to lose these uh, these privileges and these rights, uh, so that's that's what we're doing, um, Ahmed. And uh, if um, your listeners or even yourself, you want to set up a, a world of wellness um, uh, link over there, register a business name, and we can share information between all of us. The um, then we can share our website as well. Um, give you pages on the website. Um, it uh, it's it's something that's happening and it's happening automatically. We ha- we've grown without advertising. We've grown with a very a very sort of simple website. Now the new website's going up uh, tomorrow or when or Monday, um, and uh, it will be um, uh, covering a lot of what we've spoken about today. It's got a lot. It's got quite a few of my books on it. You can download my books. For free, uh, their PDF. Um, there's quite a few uh, um, videos that we've done. In fact, going back to uh, the HIV AIDS days and the testimonies from my successful AIDS patients. So, um, yeah, there's, that's that's uh, where I think um, uh, it's a doable thing. Uh, and we also have uh, public meetings every week. And then we we need to expand those that we we have a, a speaker, so uh, we would invite you along uh, if you were in Melbourne to give a give a talk about the relationship between well being, good health, and uh, orthopedic surgery, um, and how how to how to fix bones and how to make them heal faster with the right nutrients. Happy to do that. I mean, happy to do over Zoom or any other platform as well. More than happy. I mean, I recently did a poll on Twitter saying, you know, how can we win? How can we fight back? You know, do we 
do we influence our politicians? Do we form a new political party? Do we do, you know, do we educate the masses? Or is there something else we can do? 55% of people, by far and away, the largest voting was for educating the masses. I think, I think the key thing is we need to educate the people and make them informed. And that in itself will empower them. The problem has been so far, there's been a monopoly of information coming from mainstream media, which is essentially not something, you know, that holds the government to account and, you know, questions and holds corporations to account. But it's just simply simply a mouthpiece. These are either state propaganda apparatuses or simply the marketing um, outlet of big pharma and other corporations. We we don't have independent media, I believe. Um, they're all corrupted and captured. We you know they're complicit. Um, we don't have investigative journalists. You know it's now all. Everything you need to go to the independents, whether it's independent doctors, independent journalists, um, people who are just not associated and sponsored by big pharma and big corporations. And it's really difficult. But we need to educate the masses, um, one, to, to the harms that have been done, um, to the criminality, um, also how best to look after their own well-being mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, so we need to we need what you're describing stuff like this to happen, and 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 I think there is it's, there's little grassroots everywhere, um, and it has to be at a local community level, people coming together and educating themselves and looking after themselves and not relying on the state. I think too, this whole nanny state culture needs to go. People need to stop looking at the government for solutions. Um, Ian, can we just go back to? your experience as a doctor, a holistic doctor, from a health point of view, what steps can people take to promote longevity and live a healthy, productive life, happy life? Yeah. I think the first thing, as you said before, uh, I mean, is basically to educate people, inform them about what they can do. Um, I, mean, I think the very simple steps to see a nutritionist or a natural therapist uh, and or a doctor who's trained in, in these areas uh, to have an assessment, have an assessment from their family history perspective, their past history perspective, uh, and also from a genomics uh, and proteomics uh, perspective as well because this is going to be a part of the um, preventative, predictive, uh, personalised healthcare into the future. Um, but very simple things to start with. Um, basically looking at your diet, uh, eliminating things like sugar, white flour products, alcohol, uh, not too much tea and coffee. Uh, if you've got allergies such as dairy foods or gluten allergies or sensitivities, cut them out of your diet. Um, diet and nutrition are individual. Individual uh, Individualism is very, very important. Uh, and the factors that determine your health uh, nutritionally are probably different to the factors that determine your neighbor's health. Um, and don't believe the nutritionists who say you've got to have, you know, eat from the, the five major food groups and or look at the food pyramid. Um, it's very, very simple. Uh, eat wholesome foods, fresh foods, uh, home-cooked foods, stay away from junk foods, stay away from takeaways, stay away from the, the supermarket because the supermarket is just as bad for your health as the television set and the radio. Um, I think uh, it's important to look, uh, go back to your green grocer and to your butcher and to, to the uh, – 
to the people who actually know where the food comes from. You know the providence of your foods. Um, and then you, you have to look at and see whether or not the foods you're eating uh, are full of the nutrients that you need. Because um, if you're at risk, for example, of diabetes and you've got diabetes genes, you may need to take a supplement of zinc or chromium or magnesium, or you may need some uh, vitamin E. All of these have been shown to be deficient in, in diabetics, and it doesn't necessarily occur overnight. It can be a chronic long-term deficiency. Um, if you've got psychological and psychiatric problems, you know there are nutrients that have a profound effect on the central nervous system, and they include the anti-inflammatory fish oils, uh, vitamin B3. Uh, in some situations, uh, the, 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 uh, the psychiatric and psychological problems are due to inflammation in the central nervous system. So you may need to go on an anti-inflammatory diet. You may need to add curcumin to your, to your, to your cooking or take some curcumin, ginger, and garlic as a mixture in a, in a, in a nice lime drink. I mean, these things are very practical, and they work. Um, so uh, the, the other thing is if we look carefully at all of the literature, you can find up to you know, probably three to four uh, and maybe even five nutrients that are important in reversing early cancers. And I'm talking here about the dysplasia in the lungs, in the bronchi, in, in the lungs, for example, early cancer that's reversible in the bowel, um, These and early skin cancers, uh, especially in Australia where we have a lot of non-melanoma skin cancers as well as melanoma-type skin cancers. And it's been shown that uh, 500 milligrams of vitamin B3 will prevent your pre-malignant skin cancer lesions going on to skin cancer. Uh, and so you, you can avoid having all of that nasty surgery and, and um, done to your skin. Um, so <clears throat> there's there's a lot that can be done if you're at risk of um, – uh, of liver cancer from hepatitis. You can uh, look at your blood selenium levels and that in the Chinese studies where they've done a lot of work with uh, prevention of uh, liver cancer uh, in patients with uh, early cirrhosis of the liver um, is very, very important as well. So there's so many things that we can do uh, and that's why I enjoy the education in this, uh, in this field because um, prevention does work, and the most important preventative agents uh, include your diet, your exercise, and don't forget the sunshine and the sunshine vitamin. Maybe we can prevent not only infections with vitamin D, but uh, reduce the risk of bowel cancer, prostate cancer, um, uh, breast cancer uh, with vitamin D. So there's a there's a an avalanche, there's a tsunami, uh, an explosion of, of information in the literature to support what we're talking <clears> about. <throat> um, an absolute explosion of information. It's just a matter of putting it together for the individuals, getting them interested in this. Uh, and there's a hell of a lot more interest now than there was 40 years ago when I started. And it's, you know, this pandemic has been a disaster and the bastards have created it haven't realized that there's now an awakening of people uh, to mm. the failings of the pharmaceutical industry and that Mother Nature, if she's obeyed, um, she works for us. I mean, uh, I think it was one of your, your British, um, it, was, it wasn't Oscar Wilde, it was somebody who said, uh, we command nature by obeying her. And I think that's a very, very true saying. Yeah. 
I mean, thank you so much for all that. There's a lot of nuggets of useful information, Ian. Um, I, I just want to say I'm going to put all your links on my website and the podcast. Can you just remind everybody about your website and any social media contacts so that if they want to look you up, where can they find you? I think the, the best place to find me is on the World of Wellness website. Uh, it's www.worldofwellness, one word, W-O-R-L-D-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S dot life, L-I-F-E. Um, uh, and uh, there's quite a lot on um, – well, I've just started a, a, a Substack, um, and there's quite a bit on BitChute and uh, Rumble, uh, uh, talks that I've already done. Uh, and on the World of Wellness, there's uh, quite a few um, uh, webinars that I've been involved in as well. So I think that um, that should help them if they want to learn more. Um, but if there's anybody, including yourself, uh, Alan, who would like to uh, link up with the world of wellness and and uh, contribute to it, or you know, it doesn't have to be purely a, uh, an Australian organisation. I'm I'm opening it up to colleagues in uh, India, as I mentioned before, and in other parts of the world. So. Uh, and we're, it's still very early days. So, but if we have uh, if we have a, an organisation that's linked up with a lot of other organisations, not necessarily the same, uh, when when the time comes for an international council to decide what are we going to do with regard to the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organisation, I think millions of people worldwide balking against these incompetent, evil expensive organizations full of unelected bureaucrats and uh, greedy billionaire elites. I think the, the, the people of the world will win. And we also need to be focusing on peace. Yes. Uh, and this machine uh, called industrial, military, pharmaceutical complex uh, needs to be dissolved and that's not going to be easy yeah and, and, it's and the I'm biggest the danger one. to humanity the, 100% I, I, I agree with you I'm not, the one able, yeah. I'm not the one able to do it but if there's many of us if there's millions of us all singing from the same hymn sheet and there are a lot of people uh, Ahmed and thank God that you're doing what you're doing um, because, you, as you said before, you only need to influence one person, and that one person can influence others. Uh, and so the the movement towards health and peace and well-being uh, will thrive, uh, and we will be able to suppress the evil parts of our profession that have uh, taken over uh, and destroyed the goodwill and spirit of the doctors who want to be good doctors and uh, yeah. practice professionally as we're, we're trained. Mm. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for that. I mean, I, I'd like to end with um, a quote, and it's from someone called Alexander Socinism. You can resolve to live your life with integrity. Let your credo be this. Let the lie come into the world. Let it even triumph, but not through me. And if enough of us follow this, you know, philosophy, the, the lie will not flourish and truth will prevail. Um, Ian, thank you so much, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I love you loads. Until next time. Thank you. Everyone, this is just, this is slightly unusual, but we've now just got some bonus, bonus content. Um, oh, Ian, it's not recording on your end. It's saying 0% uploaded. Has your computer... Oh, no, it's uploading now. Oh, that's fine. So everyone, um, I just finished the podcast and I was just saying, I was just wrapping things up with Ian and saying a few things. And he suddenly dropped a bombshell, which I really thought was important that we captured. Ian, can you just tell me what you just said a second ago off air? Sure. Thanks, Ahmed. And hi again, everybody. I was just saying to Ahmed that um, I did an interview with uh, a particular person who claims to have been a co-inventor of the messenger RNA, uh, and it was a very difficult interview because I've always been against uh, the mRNA. It's never been shown to be effective in any medical condition and certainly not uh, been shown to be effective in prevention of infections. Uh, and uh, being labelled a vaccine to me uh, is a complete misnomer and uh, misrepresentation of what the stuff is. It's genetic uh, engineering. Um, unfortunately, uh, the scientists have got onto this. They've fallen in love with messenger RNA. They think it can do everything because we're playing around with God's messengers. We're playing around with the, light, the, the blueprint of life. And as a consequence of that, the industrialists who want to make a lot of money out of us have invested a lot of money into establishing the manufacturing plants in Australia, mRNA manufacturing plants. In fact, my university that I graduated from uh, was given $300 million to establish an mRNA plant. And what's happening now, all the young people who want to be real scientists are going into this, this particular science. To me, uh, this is quackery at the, uh, at the extreme. Uh, why are we playing around with these molecules when we're not even replicating nature's molecule when we're making the mRNA? It is a synthetic mRNA with bases that are not natural. And the other thing is, what are, what are they putting into the mRNA mm. molecules? These, these factories are being established in a number of states in Australia, and I'm fearful about what they're going to be doing with them. Uh, very, very fearful because I do not trust this science and I do not trust the scientists working in this, this field because <clears throat> they are making claims uh, for a substance that has got no value to date uh, and no uh, perceived value into the future. If you want to manipulate your genes, change your diet, take some genomics and do the thing naturally. Otherwise, you're going to risk getting sick or killing yourself.
Oh, yeah. Wow. Ian, it's funny. They're doing something similar here as well. I think there's a, a Moderna plant that's, yeah, there's a Moderna plant that's been opened in the UK. I think it's Moderna. I might, I might be wrong. But there's mRNA plants being opened up here. Now you're telling me all over Australia. And this is a failed platform. This stuff doesn't work. And the fact that they're opening up even more and want to use this technology now for other treatments, I find mm. terrifying. It's ridiculous. And it is ultimate medical quackery. Um, you're 100% right. Well, they're also planning to inject the livestock here so that livestock going to the slaughterhouse have to be injected with messenger RNA before they are slaughtered. And this includes our meat, our, meat, uh, our wool, our milk. Um, uh, scary stuff. If we don't know what the what these uh, these genes or quasi pseudo genes are going to do to us when we ingest them, uh, and they're also talking about putting it into plants uh, and creating plants that act as vaccines. This is toxic stuff, and um, it, it's <clears throat> entering a whole new era of human. Endeavor and the future of humanity is just de de dependent on the health of our environment and the microenvironment of our cells and the microenvironment of our nuclei, where the chromosomes and genes um, are based, is critically important because we're constantly interfering with our genes. They're our genes and chromosomes are continually repairing themselves, and there are enzymes that repair our DNA. Uh, these enzymes are dependent on uh, things like zinc and chromium and copper and manganese, all the trace elements, selenium. If we interfere with these trace elements with heavy metals, if we interfere with the replication repair of DNA and fragments of uh, uh, messenger RNA enter into the nucleus and interfere with repair, we end up with potentially serious illnesses, autoimmune diseases, cancers, and in reproductive medicine we find miscarriages, aborted fetuses, um, infertility, and more importantly, children born with severe birth defects. Uh, let nature alone. Otherwise, we're going to suffer more and more and more. Um, and playing around with genetic material without long, very long-term studies in sick people uh, is tantamount to the greatest level of charlatanry that I could ever imagine. Hundred percent. Ian, I couldn't agree more. Leave nature alone. Leave, leave. I mean, we talk about. I mean, and it's the same. The same people who talk about climate change and how we're destroying the planet and we're adding carbon and we're adding plastics. Well, <laughs> can't you see the hypocrisy that you're playing now with the genetic code of nature, whether it be humans, plants, or livestock? That's the biggest form of pollution. Leave us alone. Leave the planet alone. Stop polluting our genetic code with this absolute nonsense. Stop playing God. Stop this arrogant hubris 
that of humanity is is just ridiculous, and it'll be our it'll be our downfall. Um, Ian, thank you for that. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up now. We're definitely gonna have more conversations. Sure. I'll have you back maybe at the end of the year, Ian. Thank you once again. And um, my pleasure, everyone. This is this is now me properly ending the podcast. Thank you, thank you, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you.